Let's start in Luke chapter 15 this morning. I, uh, well, Luke chapter 15 tells us the story of the prodigal son and his father. And you know the story. It starts in verse 11. You know the story about how the father had two sons. One of the sons asked for the inheritance to be divided unto him so he could leave home and go to the big city. He spent all of his money on riotous living, the Bible says. I'm sure it didn't last as long as he planned for it to. And all the friends that he had while he was partying and spending a lot of money departed from him and he was left with nothing. And the only job he could get was feeding pigs. That turned out to be a good job because he was able to eat their food to stay alive. But the Bible says that when he came to himself, isn't it a sad thing that some people don't come to themselves till they're wallowing with the pigs? It's a sadder thing that some people think that that's God's plan. But the son could have come to himself anywhere along the way. Anywhere that he decided to be open-minded, that was just the place that he chose. But nevertheless, he came to himself. The Bible said that, that no man gave to him. Nobody was helping him out. He was all alone. And he decided that he'd go back to his father's house. He said, servants live better than this in my father's house. So he prepared a speech. He planned what he would say to his father. I wasn't worthy to be a son anymore and all this other kind of stuff. And he went on the road back to, to his home. And the Bible says that when his father saw him a long way off, long way down the road, he ran to him. He must have been looking for him to see him from so far away. He ran to him, fell on his neck, kissed him. Didn't even let the son go through his speech. He commanded his servants to bring the robe that signified my son is home. He directed his servants to kill the fatted calf, put a ring on his finger, restore him to a place of relationship that the son had given up. Father never said, I told you so. Never said, boy, you look like a mess. What kind of life have you been living? He restored him back to the place that he had always had with his father. In his father's heart. Now we know that this story is a picture of those who turn away from God and return. It's a picture of God's willingness to receive those who have departed. But the story starts off with Jesus saying a certain man had two sons. As great as the story is and, and the, the part of the story that we usually focus on is the father receiving his son back to himself and the love of the father. And there's wonderful, wonderful pictures there and types of God's love for us even when we mess up and do the wrong thing. I want to talk to you about the other son. So let's pick up the story. The father has just received the son and commanded the fatted calf to be killed. Let's pick up the story in verse 25. It says, Now his elder son was in the field where he's supposed to be. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, 
And thy father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. And he, the elder brother, was angry and would not go in. Therefore came out his father and entreated him. And he answering and said unto his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son, wouldn't even call him his brother. But as soon as this thy son was come, which has devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. Now, folks, there are a lot of things that we could talk about in this story relating to Christians. And, and I see a lot of people that I'm aware of uh, that are just like this guy. They get mad when somebody else gets blessed. They get, they get jealous when somebody else has good things that come to them and God does good things for them and so forth. But what I really want to focus on is the father's attitude toward the son that stayed. The father said unto him, verse 31, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. Here's the thing I want to share with you for a few minutes this morning. The older brother did the right thing the whole time. He probably picked up his brother's work, picked up the slack when his brother, younger brother left. He's always pleased his father. He's always done what his father wanted him to do. He's been, what, by all accounts, what everybody would consider to be a good son. We'd all have to agree on that, wouldn't we? But he never took advantage of what belonged to him. The father said, all I have is yours. Now, the implied meaning there is you could have had a feast anytime you wanted to. could have had one every week. Everything that I have belongs to you. The son used up his inheritance. He doesn't get an equal share of what's left now. He used up what was his. He's restored the relationship, but he doesn't have an inheritance anymore. But for you, everything I have is yours. You could have taken advantage of anything that I have anywhere along the way. Now, here's the, the type that I want to point out in this. And that is, how much of the church has been given everything and not taking advantage of it? Here the older son is mad because what the younger son is having bestowed on him as a favor. I wonder if it had the same attitude if he had taken advantage of all that his father had along the way. If he had had plenty of feasts, if it wasn't a, a rare event to have music and dancing in the house with friends and people making merry, I wonder if he would have considered that such a big deal when his, when his brother came back. I don't think he would. Now I want you to turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28. I want to talk to you about the blessings of the believer. The reason I want to call it the blessings of the believer instead of the blessing of Abraham is because it doesn't matter that it belongs to you, but it doesn't matter only that it belongs to you through Abraham. What matters is that only the believers will take advantage of it. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now, I trust that most of you know this, but in case 
someone's here that doesn't know this, it might help for them to understand some of the things that are said. The majority, almost the entirety of the book of Deuteronomy, is Moses' farewell address to the children of Israel. He's the one that led them out of bondage of Egypt. You remember he parted the Red Sea by the hand of God, brought them over on dry ground. He's done many wonders and many miracles in their sight. He struck the rock and water came out and sustained them. He brought them to the promised land, delivered the the tablets of stone to them, which was a big deal because everybody looked at the mountain that he was on talking face-to-face with God, and everybody concluded nobody could live through that. And Moses comes down, and the only difference in Moses is his face shines so much that people have to ask him to cover his face. Now Moses is coming to the place where he's going to be replaced by Joshua. It's going to be Joshua's job to lead them into the promised land Moses takes them back to the edge of the promised land where they were 40 years earlier and then rebelled against God. And so Moses is spending a good deal of time throughout the book of Deuteronomy warning the people, encouraging them to be faithful to God's commandments and keep the commandments that he's been given. But warning them also about the consequences of disobedience. So in Deuteronomy chapter 28, he's coming to the end of his farewell of address. And he says, beginning in verse 1, And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently. You know, nothing works very well unless you're diligent at it. It shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all of his commandments, which I command thee this day. There's 330 of them, by the way. That the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Now let me back up and point something out. Notice verse 2 it says and all these blessings shall come on thee. He didn't say some of these blessings will come on thee. And in verse 3 he didn't say blessed shalt thou be in the city or blessed shalt thou be in the field. He's not saying it's an either-or situation. You can either have blessings in the city or you can have blessings in the field. He's saying all of these blessings are yours. Some people might have worked in the city and some people might have worked in the field. And so the blessing might have been more prevalent or dominant in one respect than the other. But the blessing of God belonged to them no matter where they were or what they were doing, or what they were skilled to do. No matter what their career was, no matter what their activity was, the blessing that God promised was to encompass every moment of every day of every life. All these blessings shall come on thee and overtake you. And here's the reason why I believe the Lord has put this on my heart this morning. And that is, it's so easy for us to expect God's blessing in one respect, but not in all respects. For example, whatever area of of business you're involved in, you've probably learned to trust God in that area of business. 
But most people stop there when it goes to trusting God financially or for his favor in their lives. We get used to and accustomed to God's blessing working in a certain way. And so often we fail to look for it coming any other way. But who says that the way that God is blessing you now is the only way he can bless you? The Lord spoke to me about something a long time ago. There was a situation we we were uh, I was pastoring the church, but it was early in the in the uh, the early years of the church, and there was uh, a situation that came up where I needed something, and uh, and I just went out and bought it. That's what you do. You need something, you go buy it. So after I bought it, the Lord spoke to me. I was coming back from the store. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, why did you buy that? Now, God doesn't usually talk to me about purchases. I knew it was God. He wasn't mad at me for doing it. He just asked me a question. Why did you buy that? I was by myself in the car, so I just answered out loud. And I said, well, because I needed it. He said, do you remember what things were like when you first started the church? I thought back. And I remembered I had to trust God for everything. I mean, I had to trust God for the the smallest things. I mean, stationary. Couldn't afford to have any stationary printed. But I had to trust God for the money to buy envelopes, stamps. I didn't just go out and buy anything. But everything that I needed and everything that I saw that I was going to need, I went to him and trusted him for it. So I knew that's what he was talking about. So when he asked me the question, you remember what it was like when you first started the church? I said, yeah, Lord, I do. I had to trust you for everything. He said, did I ever let you down? No. He came through in everything that I needed, big or small. He said, why don't you trust me for that now? And that was a great question. Like I said, he wasn't rebuking me. He wasn't mad at me for what I did. He's just simply trying to reveal to me and trying to show me going and spending your money is not the only way to get something done. And that came as a real shock to me. And I realized that what I thought, never had verbalized it, don't even really know why I thought it. But I realized that what I thought was believing God for the church was something that I was supposed to do until we got to the place where we had enough and then we could kind of handle things on our own. And God will let you do that if that's the way you want to operate. But there's a better way. Now, since that time, I've turned things around. I've changed a lot of things. And there's hardly anything that I'll buy now without looking to him first and saying, Lord, here's what I need. What should I do? And a lot of times he'll say, go buy it. But at least I've got his direction on it. There have been a couple of things along the way that I've had to relearn the lesson with. Where I've spent a lot of money. And I've had the Lord tell me afterwards. I'd have given that to you if you'd asked me. I 
I hope I've had, I hope I've learned that lesson for the last time. Because whatever it is that I bought has never compared with the disappointment when he's told me that he'd give it to me. Instead of me doing it for myself. Verse 2, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle and the increase of your kind and the flocks of your sheep. Blessed shall be your basket and your store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. The Lord shall command, command, not suggest, but command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand to do. Same command. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The Lord shall establish thee a holy people unto himself as he has sworn unto thee. If thou shalt keep the commandment of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways. Notice that this is the, the uh, requirement, the condition. To hearken unto his voice and to keep his commandments. And all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of thee. And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods. In the fruit of your body, in the fruit of your cattle, in the fruit of your ground, in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to give thee. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven, to give the rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail, and thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath. If that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them. Now, folks, I want to suggest something to you. And that is God wants you to be blessed in the city and in the field, in the basket and in the store, in the fruit of your body, the increase of your your cattle, the increase of your sheep and so forth. That sounds like multiple streams of income to me. See, it'd be different, and it might be more consistent with the way that we generally think. If God said, and I'll give each one of you a special skill, and you'll use that skill to to open the door to the blessings of God in your life. But that's not what he said. He's talking about a lot more blessing than that. He's talking about blessings that work not just while you're working your 40 hours a week. He's talking about blessings that work while you're sleeping. See, if we just think of blessing, the blessing of God as being more business in whatever business we're involved in. There comes a point where you don't have any more time to take on any more business. So then that would mean that the blessing of God would be limited to the amount of business that you could handle in the hours that you have available during a week. Is that how big God is? My Bible seems to indicate that he's bigger than that. 
So that means the blessing of God has to be beyond, bigger than your capacity to work. The kind of blessing he's talking about has got to be bigger than what you can do with your hands. Does it not? Now, I I understand that, uh, well, I, I guess that Moses is summarizing in chapter 28 some of the things that he said before. Because although he speaks of uh, a wide range of blessings in these 13 verses that we just read in chapter 28, he doesn't get into specifics in chapter 28 about what those blessings entail. He spends the majority of the chapter talking about the curses of disobedience. And I, again, I guess, I would assume this would be the case, but you decide for yourself. I would assume that at the end of his farewell address, he's making sure that they understand bad things happen when you disobey the commandments. So he spends the rest of the chapter talking about the curses. A lot of the curses, sickness and disease, and not a word of healing is in the first 13 verses. Why? Because the blessing of God is not just to be healed when you get sick. Certainly that's available. God has said from the beginning. Beginning in Exodus chapter 23 and verse 25. And you'll serve the Lord your God. And he'll bless your bread and your water. And he'll take sickness from the midst of you. That's healing. But God's best. God's highest blessing is not healing. It's divine health. See, the implication, the implied truth is that if you hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God, you won't have to take healing because you can walk in divine health, free from the attack of sickness and disease or free from the long-term attack of sickness and disease. Everybody gets attacked, but you can chase it off with the truth of the word just by living it in your life. Now turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. I want to get into some more of the specifics that he talks about concerning the blessing of God. Deuteronomy chapter 7. We'll start reading in verse. uh, Let's start in verse 6. Get a little bit of context here. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself. Above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Now I know the devil tells people in the same way. And so many of the blessings that are talked about in the Old Testament. The devil's right there to speak into your ear and say yeah but that's for the Jews. Well hold that thought. That robs a lot of people. But hold that thought. We want to deal with it after we talk about the entirety of this. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself. Above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. For you were the fewest of all people. 
But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he swore unto your fathers, talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keep his covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Well, that not only covers them, but that covers the descendants of Abraham today. And repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to them that hateth him. He will repay them him to his face. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. All comes back to keeping the word. Wherefore, it shall come to pass, if you hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which we swear unto thy fathers, and he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your corn and your wine and your oil, the increase of your kind and the flocks of your sheep in the land which he swear unto your fathers to give it. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt which you know upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. Now, anytime you read these verses, you have to make the comment that the Hebrew language has a, a permissive verb that's always translated as the causative verb in the English language. In other words, it's, God will not allow these sicknesses upon you, but will allow them on those that hate him. It's not God putting sickness or disease on anybody. If God was to put sickness or disease on somebody, where would he get sickness and disease? We know it's of the devil. So if God's using sickness to punish somebody or to, to reward them for their disobedience to, to his commandments, then that would mean that God would have to go to the devil to get the devil's possession to use it. And I just don't believe that God and the devil are partners. Do you? There was no sickness or disease in the earth that God created. Sickness and disease is not a created thing. It's a perversion of health. God doesn't have any. And thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee. The word, uh, the phrase consume all the people literally means eat all the spoils. In the Septuagint it reads eat all the spoils of the people that I give you. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. Thine eyes shall have no pity upon them neither shalt thou serve their gods for that will be a snare unto thee. If you say in your heart, these nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? Thou shalt not be afraid of them, but shall well remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and unto all Egypt. In other words, he's saying, you're going to come upon situations that look too big for you, but don't be bothered about that. It's still yours. They're still yours. Turn with me over to chapter 8, verse 1. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall you observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. 
And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee. The word humble means to chasten, to discipline, to teach, or to train. It does not mean punish. To humble thee and to prove thee. To know what was in your heart, whether thou would keep his commandments or no. Folks, there's a principle in the Bible where the Bible says, despise not the day of small beginnings. The Bible talks about increasing, God increasing us at our latter ends. And there's a reason for that. Because the prosperity of fools will destroy them. God has to give you time to be wise, to learn wisdom. So that you can handle the blessings that he wants to bring into your life. Very few people start off with everything and finish up with God. The question is this. Are you willing to start off with nothing and trust God and then keep trusting God when he adds more to you? That's his plan. God doesn't want to give you anything that will separate you from himself. Now, some people will take the attitude, well, I've seen money cause people to backslide. And that's true. Money has caused some people to backslide. But I can show you people that, that just about anything has caused a backslide. People have backslidden over food. Well, I'm not going to quit eating because people backslide over food. Some people have backslidden over clothes. Well, I'm not going to stop wearing clothes because some people backslide over clothes. And I'm not going to stop believing in the blessings of prosperity or abundance because some people backslide over money. The prosperity of fools shall destroy them. I've got an, a tip for you. Don't be a fool. <laughs> it's your choice. People are not fools because they were born that way and it's just their lot in life. People are fools because they choose to disregard the truth of the word and the wisdom of God. You don't have to disregard it. Just like the prodigal son. He didn't have to wait till he was living with pigs to come to himself. He didn't have to wait till that point in time where he was eating pig slop to appreciate his father and his father's house. So verse 3, and he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord doth, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. In other words, he said it was more important for you to learn that I'm your provider than for you to have the food that you thought you wanted at the time. That's what times of lack are really beneficial for. For us to learn that God takes care of us no matter what. And we're not supposed to forget that. But there's no way to learn that other than going through hard places. Verse 4, thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these 40 years. That's a miracle. Thou shalt also consider in your heart that as a man chastens or disciplines, trains his son, 
so the Lord thy God trains you. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land. Now notice what the principle is. Make sure your heart is right toward God. Make sure your attitude is right toward God and his word because blessing is coming. I believe that's the message for 2017. Don't wait till you get in the middle of some kind of blessing and try to figure out where you are with God. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring up out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. In other words, you're coming into a place of blessing where you can buy what you want. Don't forget to check with God before you spend your money. I hope you see the point. When thou hast eaten and art full, that must be okay with God. When that thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he has given thee. Remember that it was him that gave it to you. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwell therein. Must be okay to have a good house and live in it. And when your herds and your flocks multiply, that must be okay with God too. He's saying this is what acting in obedience to his commandments will bring. And your silver and your gold is multiplied. That must be okay with God too. And that all that you have is multiplied. Now folks notice that God keeps using the word. If Moses is speaking for God. And I believe he is. Notice God keeps using the word multiplied. Not just increase. Multiply. Now what's the smallest amount of. What's the smallest number you can multiply by. If we're talking whole numbers, it's two. Multiplying by one doesn't do anything. It's not multiplying. Multiplying by two is talking about doubling stuff. I believe we ought to believe God for a minimum of double. And that should just be the floor. I believe God wants to do some things in these last days where the multiplier is a lot bigger than two. But we need to think in terms of multiplying, not just adding to, not just increasing, not just trying to get our 1.5% out of the bank. We need to think about multiplying. God's in the multiplication business because he's God. So lest when thou hast eaten and art full and have built goodly houses and dwell therein and when your herds and your flocks multiply. You know, I got to tell you something, folks. Anytime the word herds and flocks 
the words herds and flocks are used. I think about the church. I think we ought to believe for our church to multiply. Well, okay, I will. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and that all that thou hast is multiplied. Here's the warning. Then thy heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of bondage or land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there is no water, who brought thee forth water out of the flint of rock or the rock of flint. Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee and might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. Now, folks, the whole reason that he mentions this is he says, remember how I protected you. Now, there's one time when the fiery serpents came in because the people murmured against Moses. But even then, God healed the people when they obeyed what Moses said to do. He's saying, I protected you. I caused water to come out of the rock where there was no water. I fed you with manna in a place where there was no food. Don't forget that I did these things for you when you had nothing. And instead, here's the warning, and thou shalt say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. The Septuagint says great wealth. Well, if everything you've got is multiplied, it would be great wealth. But instead thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. Now that last phrase is important because it's God saying, the same promise I made to Abraham is just as alive for you as it was for him. The whole purpose for God increasing us and multiplying everything that we have is to make good on the covenant that he made to Abraham way, way, way back when. It's just as true for them. It's a current promise. It's not a past tense promise. It's a current promise. And notice it says that God is the one that gives you the power to get wealth. There have been a lot of speculation, a lot of preaching about what the power to get wealth is. But folks, if the condition for increase is to keep the commandments of God, or we might say it, to keep his word, then that would mean the power to get wealth has to be faith. Faith is the keeping of God's word. It's believing in and acting on what God said to do. So the power to get wealth has to be the principle of faith. Wouldn't you agree? What else would it be? If it can be undone by disobedience. Disobedience is always unbelief. Then what would obedience be other than faith? The power to get wealth is the principle, the godly principle of faith. Now in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Verse 14 goes on to say, That, or for this reason, so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through faith in Christ Jesus, and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Verse 29 goes on to say, And if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, remember what I said earlier? I think we were in chapter 7, verse 6, where it says, God has chosen you to be a holy people. He didn't pick you because you were great in number, but he picked you because he loved you. What makes a Jew a Jew? It's not a geographic thing. Being Jewish is not like being German or South American. It's not a geographic thing. It's not determined by boundaries. It's not even an ethnic thing. Being Jew is not like being Caucasian or black or red or yellow or any other color of man's skin. Jewish comes down to one and only one thing, and that is a relationship with God. Under the old covenant, it was a relationship with God through the law of Moses. Under the new covenant, it's a relationship with God through Jesus. So again, Galatians 3.29 says, And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. Now let me read verse 18 again so you know what the promise is. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which you swear unto your fathers as it is this day. Same promise that was made to Abraham is your promise today. Now in Acts chapter 17, in verse 26, Paul is preaching to, well, the surrounding verses. Paul is preaching on Mars Hill. Excuse me. He comes to a place where in the city of Athens where people are questioning his belief. It's apparently the, um, the, on Mars Hill, the Bible describes it as a place where people come together <clears throat> and talk about different doctrines and everybody's looking to hear something new. And so Paul starts off with his message and says, I see you've got an, uh, an idol that has an inscription to the unknown God. You worship gods, you don't even know who they are. And then he talks about God, the creator of the universe, being the unknown God. And then he says in verse 26 something that's really important. He said, and God has made of all nations one blood. God has made of all nations one blood. In other words, he's talking about through the sacrifice of Jesus, we all become spiritual Israel. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, or I'm sorry, to the Romans. And he said, not all Israel is Israel. He said, there's the natural Israel. They're the natural descendants of Israel. But the real Israel, the spiritual Israel, the children of promise, are not like Ishmael. They're like Isaac. Those are the ones that have accepted Jesus and his sacrifice as the payment for their sins. 
So where Paul says God is made of all nations one blood, there are only two nations now of the earth, saved and unsaved. Now, I'm not talking about geographic boundaries. I'm not talking about nationalism. I'm not talking about any of that kind of stuff. As far as God is concerned, in a spiritual sense, there are two, two classifications of people, two nations of people, the church and the unsaved. Now, what makes up the church? Is it a geographic thing? Or just us American Christians part of the real church? No, that transcends boundaries, geography. What about ethnic boundaries? Are just us white people Christians? No, you can be a Christian no matter what color you are, what race you're from, no matter what your heritage is, no matter who you're descended from. Why? Because Jesus made of all nations one blood. One blood. Now the one blood of the church, the blood of Jesus for the church, makes you an heir of all these things that God promised. Because God's promise, God's covenant promises to Abraham have never ended. So where the devil will tell you that's just for the Jews, agree with him. That is just for the Jews, the spiritual Jews, those that are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, there's 330 commandments. How can you hearken diligently and be successful in 330 commandments? Turn with me over to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, I want you to start reading with me in verse 34. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he said, A new commandment I give unto you. Now, is Jesus speaking by the will of God or not? If he's speaking by the will of God, then Jesus is saying, I'm giving you a new commandment, the new commandment of the new covenant. Paul said that this new commandment of love fulfills all of the law. He that loveth has fulfilled all the law, meaning all 330 commandments. So we don't have 330 rules to keep. We've got one. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you shall also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one toward another. That means that all those scriptures we read back in Deuteronomy... If you hearken diligently into the voice of the Lord your God to keep in his commandments and to walk in his statutes, it really means to keep the law of love. Under Jesus, it means to keep the law of love. It means to hearken unto the love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts, to yield to the influence and the impression of the Spirit of God within us, to walk in love. That's the criteria. That's the thing to hearken diligently to. That's the thing to focus our lives on so that we can walk in all the blessings of God. So that we can be overtaken by all of the blessings of God. And I know how the devil works on you on that. 
Because they'll say, well, yeah, but you haven't done that. You know you. You know you haven't done that. I want you to turn back with me to Isaiah 38, and I'm closing with this. There's something that the Lord has brought to my attention, brought back to my attention, I should say. Here of recent times, that's really, really made a difference for me. These are things that I've known from years past. I heard Brother Hagin teach them. But it's really come alive to me. Isaiah chapter 38 tells the story of Hezekiah. We don't know what the condition was that he was in, but he was sick and nigh to death. And God sends Isaiah the prophet to him to tell him that he's going to die. Get your house in order. Get your affairs in order because you're going to die. Hezekiah hears that. Isaiah leaves the, the palace. Hezekiah hears the word of the Lord. And it says he turned his face to the wall. I think there's a lot of ways that can be interpreted, but maybe the simplest way is he blocked everything else out. He turned his face to the wall and he talked to God. Just between him and the Lord. And notice what Hezekiah prayed. Now Hezekiah lived a life that was much different. He was a king of Israel and he lived a life that was much different from his father. His father was wicked. His father closed the temple and nailed the door shut. Hezekiah tore down all the graven images and all the groves that were, had been uh, constructed to worship false gods. Reopened the temple, reestablished the priesthood, reinstituted the Passover, and God healed the people through the Passover. He's done a lot of good things, but he wasn't perfect. He's messed up some along the way too. But notice Hezekiah's prayer. He said, Lord, remember how I have walked before you in truth. Jesus said the word of God is truth. So for us, that would be walking in the word. Notice what else he said, with a perfect heart. Now, he didn't say he was perfect in his actions. He didn't say he never missed it. He said he had a perfect heart. Now, folks, I would submit to you that if you're born again, if you've got the life of God in you, and particularly if you come to this church and hear the preaching that you hear, then your heart is right toward God. You can't stay in this church without having a right heart. I've seen too many people leave over the years and blame me for preaching condemnation when they go to not know how it works. When the word of God is preached, if we're not living up to it and not doing our best to live up to it, then the Holy Spirit convicts us now, people interpret that conviction as condemnation if they don't want to do anything to make it right. So they'll leave saying that I'm preaching condemnation or I'm hard or I'm uncaring or whatever. And that's okay. I don't care what they say about me. I do care that they don't care enough to make things right in their own life. But I'm not going to water down the word just so somebody feels better. I know what it's like for me and Beth to be here by ourselves in church. If that's what it goes back to, then so be it. I'm going to preach the truth. 
So notice what Hezekiah prayed. Lord, remember how I've walked before you in truth with a perfect heart. My heart's been right. May not have always done everything right, but my heart's been right. And when I didn't do the right thing, my heart condemned me for it. And have done good in your sight. Have done good in your sight. It says he wept sore. Now that kind of prayer worked. That kind of praying works. Because God told Hezekiah before he even got out of the palace courtyard. Go back to Hezekiah and tell him I've heard his prayer. I've seen his tears. And tell him I'll give him 15 more years. Now folks I don't know what Hezekiah was sick with. But he was sick nigh unto death. I would assume it was some kind of incurable disease. We certainly know it was terminal. And that's all that's said. We don't know what God did. We don't know what sweeping power of God came in upon him to change the situation or change things around. But whatever it was left, disappeared, or something. Because all we know about is the next 15 years of his life. I believe you are in a position to pray Hezekiah's prayer. I believe every one of us are in a place to pray Hezekiah's prayer. We may not have done all the good things in our life that we wanted to. We may not have walked with God in truth to the degree that we would have wished we had now, looking back at it. But I believe all of us can at the very least look at the story of the prodigal son and see how God received his son back to himself and claim that place. Because you had a better relationship with God than Hezekiah did. You got better standing with God than he did. My point is very simply this. If there's an adjustment that needs to be made, make it. It doesn't take a long time to get back over in the plan of God. If you haven't been walking in love, then take the 10 seconds that it takes to make the adjustment on the inside. You may have to ask somebody to forgive you, and if so, do it. But it doesn't take some long period of time to get back over in love. You can get there in a matter of seconds. It's a change of heart. Because God wants to bless you. I believe 2017 is going to be a year of spectacular increase. I knew 2017 is going to be the year where I have my healing. Because I'm walking in love. Have been all the way. But the Lord has impressed me and prompted me about this now more than ever before. And you're going to see it. And a lot of other people are going to see it. And it's going to create in us a boldness to speak the word of God because we've seen the power of God work. Not just for me. 2017 is going to be a year for a lot of people to have their healing. Notice I didn't say receive it. We've already received it by faith. But to have it. I believe 2017 is going to be a year of the glory of God for this church. In greater measure than ever before. I believe it will be the beginning of something that will increase more. And more. And more. And more. 
Ten years from now, we may look back and say, boy, we thought that was the glory of God back then, but look at it now. But it'll start this year. It can start for you too. It can start for every one of us. Because God's promises are sure. His word is true. And nothing the devil can do can outlast God's word. I think some of us need to look at our situations and say, devil, do the worst you can do. Let's see what you've got. Let's see if you're greater than the word of God. Let's see if you've got more power than God's word. Do your thing so God can do his. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we consecrate ourselves to you anew and afresh. You know our hearts. You know we've submitted our wills to yours. We thank you, Father, for the privilege to live in these last days. I thank you, Father, for your great plans for this year. I thank you that it'll be a year of healing. It'll be a year of glory. It'll be a year... of spectacular increase. Lord, I think it'll be a, thank you that it will be a year where in, wisdom will increase exponentially for the church. Oh, Father, thank you for boldness to speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, let your church be known as a house of healing because healing is the children's bread. Make it real in us, Lord, that all you have is ours. And all we need to do is exercise the victory that overcomes the world, which is our faith to take hold of your plan and your purpose. Lord, multiply those of us who have been found faithful. Remember, Lord, how we walk before you in truth with a perfect heart. And we've done good in your sight. Multiply us, Father. Multiply us in number. Multiply us in blessing, resources. Multiply us in healing and health. Multiply our influence. Multiply our opportunities to share Jesus. Multiply us, Lord, in great measure that we might be a blessing to others. That was a part of your promise to Abraham. Not only that you would bless him, but that you would make him a blessing. Bless us, Lord, that we might be a blessing in every respect. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's stand together, please.
Let's lift our hands and thank God for what he's doing in our lives. I found that the reason that God gives me things to preach or to teach, whatever you call what I do, is so that we can exercise faith for it to receive what he's told us he wants to do on our behalf. So let's just lift our hands and thank him for it. Thank you in advance, Lord, for your blessing. Thank you for multiplying us. Thank you for multiplying our church. Thank you for bringing in the lost to be saved. Bringing in those that need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Bringing in the sick to be healed. Multiplying our TV audience, Father, that we may influence people through that too. Multiply us in resources to reach more people. Multiply us in every respect. Thank you, Lord. We know it's your will. We extend our faith to receive it. And so we thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. I want to challenge you to make 2017 a year of the word like you've never had before. To make the word of God your focus in a greater measure than you've ever even imagined. And to look for the blessing of God, the multiplied blessing of God in every area of your life. Amen. Amen. Well, that's all I've got. Happy New Year. Have a great 2017. In the Lord. Amen? Amen. Say it with me. The Lord is good. And His mercy endures forever. Amen. God bless you.